Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Burt's Books podcast. I am a little bit all over the place this week. Uh, not only did the clocks change last uh, last weekend, um, which really threw me because I, I made the mistake of staying up late and binging a TV programme, which uh, really confused me because suddenly it was an hour later than I realised and I couldn't work out why because I was very tired. Uh, and then I slept till about midday and then I couldn't sleep the following night because I'd slept so late the previous day. And oh yeah, so my week's been all up and down because of that. But also, uh, bank holidays have just thrown me as well. So um, normally, you, you will know, probably. Maybe you don't, I don't know. I send out books twice a week. I send them out on Tuesdays and Fridays. That is when Royal Mail come up and collect from me. And also, that is the days, those are the days where I get my deliveries from my wholesaler. Now... Friday, uh, there's no delivery because the wholesale is closed because it's bank holiday. Royal Mail, not collecting because it's bank holiday. So I uh, also, as well, just to add extra to the next, it was bundle week. Uh, so I was doing lots and lots of work, parceling up all these bundles, trying to get them out on Tuesday because I had no idea if I was going to be able to get Royal Mail to come out on Thursday. Thankfully they did. I sent out another batch on Thursday. And... Uh, I've now, so I've done all my Friday work on Thursday. It's now Friday today. I'm doing all my Saturday work. I may even end up having a day off. Uh, but of course, it's going to completely throw me into next week as well because normally on a Monday, I place my order for a Tuesday. That isn't going to happen because if I place an order on Monday, I'm not going to get it till Wednesday. I, I'm just all over the place. So, uh, we're going to, I think, just get straight on with the podcast. I've got uh, a new round of the Pagemaster quiz. I have got uh, an update on the charts, both the weekly charts and an update on where we are at in the year overall. And I've got three, well, I've got two great books to tell you about. And then I've got one great author to tell you about. I haven't read any of his books this week, but uh, I've, uh, I've been thinking about him because I've been tidying my bookshelf. So uh, I'll be telling you about him and why I love his books uh, as well. All of it is coming up on the other side of this music. It's the beginning of a brand new month here at Burt's Books. So it's always nice, I feel at this point, to take a look back and just... Uh, have a look at what March or what the previous month brought us. And uh, I'd like to do so by telling you about the best-selling books uh, on birthbooks.co.uk. Uh, it's usually the subscription books that are at the top of the charts, and that isn't an exception this week, this month. Uh, the Phone Box at the Edge of the World by Laura M.I. Messina is the best-selling book at Burt's Books. Uh, in the whole of March, and that's because it was in the uh, bundle subscriptions. Uh, it was my pick of the month. I do strongly recommend having a read of that one. And you will, in fact, hear me talk a, bit, a little bit more about that later in the episode. Also, there was Truth Be Told by Kia Abdullah, and you will hear me talking about that one as well in this episode. So, uh, two brilliant books coming up for you later. But sandwiched between the two of them on the Burt's Books chart is uh, The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex, which uh, we've talked about before. If you haven't had a chance to get uh, hold of that one, do check it out. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And it will be making a lot of uh, bestseller lists at the end of the year. I think a lot of people will be choosing that as uh, one of their top 
10, if not higher. In the rest of the country, it's always good to look and see what uh, they're doing as well. So uh, I always like to check out what the top 10 of the year so far are. Um, well, it's always good. To... It's important to remember that we haven't had uh, sales data for much of this year. We've had a little bit for the last two weeks, uh, but I have been... I'm not going to say making it up, but I have been using my best judgment to work out what the sales figures are. Fortunately, I don't have to do too much hard work because Nielsen do provide us with the ranking. They just don't give us sales numbers. But by my logic, we have got a top 10 for last month with some little help from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market panel chart. At 10 down three places, it's Lisa Jewell with Invisible Girl. At nine, a new one for Stacey Solomon and Tap to Tidy. Down two places to eight, Delia Owens, Where the Crawdad Sings. Down two to seven, Pink Live Nom, 100 Slimming Homestyle Recipes by Kay Featherston and Kate Allenson, who are also at number six. Down two places with Pink Live Nom, Everyday Light. Up four places from nine last month to five this month, it's Marion Keys with Grown Ups. And at four, a new entry for Matt Haig and the Midnight Library. No move at three for the Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. No move at two for the Charlie Maxey, the Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse. And no move at one for Kay Featherson and Kate Allenson's third entry in the top ten. It's Pinky Nom, quick and easy. With a quarter of the year done, uh, it's no real surprise to see three books by Pink uh, Nom guys in the top ten. They will start to drop down now, and uh, we will see a lot of new books starting to leap up the charts. Particularly, I think we will see Hilary Mantel probably coming up soon. She has uh, got the paperback of The Mirror and the Light coming out, and that will do very, very well. We've also got Shuggy Bane coming out in paperback soon and Richard Osman's Thursday Murder Club in paperback. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether he makes it into the top 10 twice with the same book. Also, it will be no surprise for you to know that I am not just keeping track of what's selling each year, each month, each day. I'm having a little track of what's selling in the decade so far. So for all of 2020 and all of 2021, you won't be surprised to learn that The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse is in the top spot. But last week it sold its millionth copy uh, of the decade. Uh, of course, I do have to caveat that with uh, we don't know for a lot of the time uh, the sales figures, but my estimations mean uh, sort of suggest that possibly it's there or thereabouts. So big congratulations to Charlie Mackesy. It's the only book so far this decade to have done it. Uh, and it is considerably ahead of a lot of the other books. Will it still be in the top 10 come the end of this year? Uh, there is only one way to find out, and that is by coming back to the Burt's Books podcast every month. In fact, you come back every week, but I will only update you on the top 10 of the year every month. Last week, I told you about The Lost Future of Pepper Harrow by Natasha Pulley. Well, I am back in Japan for the first book of this week. It is The Phone Box at the Edge of the World by Laura Imai Messina. 
not an intentional uh, thing. I wasn't looking for books on Japan necessarily. But these are my two uh, general fiction uh, subscription books. So if you are signed up to that, you will be receiving both the phone box at the Age of the World and the Natasha Pulley uh, in your bundles. Uh, possibly you've received them already or they are already on their way to you. So it's a little bit of a Japan theme. Well, what is this one about, though, is uh, what I know you want to know. And it is... Uh, well, here, let me read the blurb. On a windy hill in Japan, in a garden overlooking the sea, stands a disused phone box. For years, people have travelled to visit the phone box, to pick up the receiver and speak into the wind, to pass their messages to loved ones no longer with us. When Yu loses her mother and daughter in the tsunami, she wonders how she will carry on. One day, she hears of the phone box and decides to make her own pilgrimage there, to speak to the people she loved the most. But when you have lost everything, the right words can be the hardest thing to find. Then Yu meets Takeshi, a bereaved husband whose own daughter has stopped talking in the wake of their loss. What happens next will warm your heart, even when it feels as though it is breaking. I'm going to talk to you about the cover of this one first because I think it's such a really good looking book. It's a pale white with almost watercolour paint blue sort of smeared across it and then a, a pencil and ink drawing of a phone box with some blossom uh, sort of creeping across the top. It's a really lovely looking jacket and it just goes to what the rest of the book is like as well. It's such a gorgeous book. It's one of those books that just makes you feel calm as you're reading it. Uh, as the blurb says, it is a book that is largely about grief. And these people just go to this phone box and they speak. Uh, we see most of it through Yu's point of view. And I, I'm apologising now if I'm not saying her name right. It's spelt Y-U-I, it could be Yui, it could be Yai-U, I don't know. I'm going with you, it's how I read it when I read the book. The chapters are short, they are, um, they're, they're quite, the font's quite big, so we're talking maybe 25, 30 lines per page, and some of the chapters are, well, for instance, chapter two, here's a good one, is a just a playlist of songs that you played during her radio program so you is a radio host she presents a radio show in japan and that's how she hears about the phone box somebody rings up and tells her and she is grieving for both her mother and her daughter who uh during the tsunami were lost and they died together and she find found them eventually their, their bodies were found so there's no uh, there's no will they find them, will they spring back to life in this book, there, there's none of that there's no real jeopardy in this book, there's no big twists you're not waiting to find out what's happening, you're just living with these people as they move through their grief and the phone box helps them uh, but the guy who runs the phone box um, and I think that his name is Suzuki-san and he is I don't know he, he we don't really find out about him but he wants to help and 
he's putting on courses for people at the, at the where it's home where the phone box is because uh, they come to the phone box to talk through their grief then talk to their loved ones but he wants to teach them how to sort of move on and so he puts on these courses which will help them and the idea is that yes they've come for the phone box but the, they will also learn other ways so that they can cope with their grief without the phone box um, but also while she's on her way to the phone box she, she meets Takishi who is he's there to uh, to grieve for his wife and he wants advice from his wife because their daughter is mute she won't talk uh, doesn't doesn't say a word and Takishi and you sort of they, they've both come from Tokyo it's quite a journey and they strike up a friendship and whilst, but whilst Takishi goes in and talks to his wife on the phone, Yu doesn't. She never, she never steps inside the phone box. She doesn't. Uh, she just wanders around the garden, looking at the blossom. And it's, it's quite. It's, it's not. It's sad, but it's hopeful at the same time. It's a really interesting book because of the way that it makes you feel these feelings. Because overall. I felt quite happy reading it because these were people who were healing and were moving on with their lives and you know there was something forming between the two of them which was just wholesome and and you know felt really good it was in the strangest of ways a really easy read I was able to read it in two sittings and it is also really hard because it's about people in their in the hardest parts of their lives. Um, I can't I can't really tell you much more about this book because it's just one of those ones I think you just need to read. It is based on a true story, though. Uh, I can tell you that much. So there really is this phone box out there um, that people use to talk to their loved ones. And it strikes me as a good as way as any as grieving for the people that you've lost. Um... It's The Phone Box at the Edge of the World by Laura M.I. Messina. It's the one that I've chosen as my favourite book of the month, so uh, everyone who's subscribed to the Best Fiction bundle will be receiving that book. And I just hope that you all enjoy it as much as I did. If you haven't subscribed and you'd like a copy, uh, you can find it on burtsbooks.co.uk right now. My guest on Pagemaster this week is Aid. Aid, uh, you were actually on the quiz last year. How have you been since then? Yeah, I've not been bad. I'd like to say I've been revising heavily and thoroughly, but I have not. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do and the sort of books that you read? So I am Adrian Bradley. I am a journalist and a radio producer from London. I make global business news. Um, I read a mixture of books. I'm in a book club where we try and read books by LGBT authors or with LGBT themes mostly. Um, so that's the bulk of the fiction that I read. And then nonfiction, I kind of vary from science books to uh, I'm reading Michael Palin's diaries at the moment. Bill Bryson's book of the human body was uh, a, a guy. The Human Body, A Guide for Owners was a really great book as well. Uh, Michael Palin's diaries are really interesting. Um, 
I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Alexa, uh, Alexa decided to pipe in there. But yeah, those are the sorts of books that I really enjoy reading. Well, it sounds like a, a nice varied list. Hopefully it will do you well in the quiz. You got nine points last year. And uh, if you repeat that again this year, it will put you in fourth place on the oh. leaderboard. So uh, uh, fingers crossed, you'll do pretty well. Uh, your, your minimum aim, though, is five and a half points. That's the person in sixth place at the moment. Okay. Uh, you're going to get 10 questions. Each question is worth one point and five seconds in the final round. And in the final round, you will get the choice of two categories. You'll be asked to name as many books, authors or characters that apply to that category as you can. If you are ready, we will begin. Okay. Question one. I'm going to read to you the line from a book and uh, the first line from a book, in fact, and I would like you to tell me what that book is. I am old. That is the main thing to tell you, the thing you are least likely to believe. If you saw me, you would probably think I was about 40, but you would be very wrong. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, no, not a bad guess, but it's uh, How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. Features a similar ageing issue. Question two. Peter Grant is the main character in which series of books by Ben Aranovich? I don't know. It is the Rivers of London books. Question three. What does the I stand for in ISBN? International. Correct. Question four. The author of the Mr. Men and Little Miss books was popularly known by his middle name, Roger. But what was his first name? John. Charles. Worth a guess, though. <laughs> Question five. The Boy at the Back of the Class and the Night Bus Hero are books from which author? David Williams. No, they are on Jolly Q. Ralph. Question six. Elizabeth, Joyce, Ibrahim and Ron are the lead characters in which best-selling mystery novel? The Famous Five. It's The Thursday Murder Club by Richard uh. Osmond. <laughs> Question seven. Which first name links the surnames Rosen, Connolly, and Morpurgo? Michael. Correct. Question eight. Mark Rylance played which Roald Dahl character in the 2016 film of the same name? The BFG. Correct. Question nine. In total, how many Horcruxes did Lord Voldemort create? 11. It was 7. Question 10. The guess the year. Question. Which year saw the publication of Bring Up the Bodies by Hilary Mantel, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, and The Death of Maeve Binkley? I'm going to go with 2011. Oh, you are one year out. I'll give you half a point. It was 2012. That gives you uh, three and a half 
correct, which will give you 18 seconds in the final round. That's a pretty decent chunk of time. <laughs> uh, what sort of category are you hoping might come up? Oh, I'm hoping some very well-known author like uh, a Dickens or, uh, well, if I get, you know, if I get Ian Rankin or De Terry Pratchett, I would be very happy with Terry Pratchett. If that came up. That would be, that would work. I'll say that, it'll come up and I'll get nothing, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, I would like you to pick two numbers between one and 25 for me, please. Um, four and 17. You've chosen four and 17. So the initials for those categories are JP or MA. What do you think they might be? And which one are you going to go for? Hmm. I really have no idea what they could be. So I'm leaning towards MA and I don't know why, but that's, I, I have a fear that the P might be poetry, <laughs> which would worry me. So I'm gonna go for MA. Okay, uh, you have chosen MA. So you are going to have 18 seconds from the moment that I finish speaking to tell me as many novels, short story collections or non-fiction publications by Margaret Atwood, as you can. Your time starts now. A Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I don't even know what her new book was. Uh, all I know is A Handmaid's Tale. That's really cool. That's it. That is time up, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's one of those ones there. Uh, she's, she's got a huge number of books, but uh, tough to uh, remember them all. Uh, so you got The Handmaid's Tale. That was correct. The latest one was The Testaments. She's got 18 novels that she's published okay. over the time. Uh, things like The Robber's Bride, Life Before Man, The Edible Woman, which was her first one, uh, Hagseed, uh, various short story collections and poetry ones as well over 40 that you could have had uh but uh the, you got the most famous one which is <laughs> <laughs> which is at least uh, a good thing at least that <laughs> right that gives you uh, four and a half points in wow. total it doesn't put you on the leaderboard i'm afraid oh. um but it has been a tougher year for everyone this year so i think <laughs> uh you did very well thank you very much Next time I will uh, try and do a bit more research beforehand, <laughs> probably of a wrong topic. But anyway, thank you very much for having me. It was uh, good fun. Adrian gets four and a half points. He's just one point away from making it onto the leaderboard. A really good attempt. He got three and a half points in the first section, which is a really decent score. He just didn't know his Margaret Atwoods. If you think that you could have done better, then do get in touch with me, Bert at bertsbooks.co.uk or tweet me at bertsbooks and you can be playing uh, a future round of the Page Master. Or if in fact you think you might know what the JP category that Adrian swerved was, then that will still be there uh, in the future rounds ready for somebody to take it on. So perhaps you might be the person to do that. Uh, I will have another round of the Page Master quiz for you next week. 
Every week I am telling you about a book that I have found on my bookcase that I want to keep. Uh, so I'm going through it, I'm getting rid of some books that you know what, I'm never going to read again or I have no particular connection to. I probably enjoyed it at the time. I would possibly recommend it but I uh, don't know that I would ever reread them. Uh, but I am also keeping some of those books that mean a lot to me. And uh, I'm going to tell you about actually probably about eight or nine books that are on my shelf today. Uh, but they're all by the same person. And we'll, we'll start with the first one that I read of his. So we're talking about Dean R. Koontz. Uh, commonly known as just Dean Koontz these days, but uh, when I'd stumbled upon him, it was he was Dean Arkings. And the book that I first read of his is a book called Phantoms. Uh, and the, really, you should see the state of this book that I've got. It's probably, it was probably published in, I'm going to say the 80s. It looks like, like sort of the 80s kind of, um, oh, okay, here we go. Re reprinted in paperback in 1990. Reprinted in this edition in 1990. So I've got a hardback. Um, it's first published in 1983, and the cover is just so 80s. Uh, it's the sort of uh, in big blue letters, Dinar Koontz at the top, and then at the bottom, Phantoms, with a picture of a sort of haunted house in the middle. I'll read you the blurb and then I'll tell you a bit more about why it's important to me. The lights went out. Several voices spoke at once. Flashlights. Something cold touched the back of Jake's neck. Cold and slightly moist, yet something that was alive. He flinched at the touch, tried to pull away and turn. Something encircled his throat with the suddenness of a whip. Jake gasped for breath. He tried to scream, but a frigid hand clamped over his mouth. At least... He thought it was a hand, but it felt like the flesh of an eel, cold and damp. Waves of revulsion and terror broke and foamed within him. Jake strained, twisted, flexed, jerked and writhed in an epileptic dance of panic, a spasmodic fandango of escape, but he couldn't even free one hand. Jake heard the others calling to one another. They sounded far away. The lights flickered and then came on, bright and steady. The darkness had lasted no longer than 15 or 20 seconds. But Jake had gone. Yesterday, Snowfield, California, was a charming little town, basking in the golden afternoon sun. Today, it is a place of nightmare. An ancient, awesome force has spirited away almost the entire population of the town and left the bodies of those remaining bizarrely disfigured. What hope can there be for the few still left alive? So if you don't know who Dean Koontz is, he is a very similar writer to Stephen King. In fact, Stephen King actually has a quote uh, on this book uh, recommending it. And he's been writing for absolute years. And it's this horror with uh, a bit of a twist. You know, there's always a supernatural element to most of it. Over the years, he's changed his style a bit here and there and uh you know he's he's gone a bit i would say less supernatural things have been more grounded in reality a bit like um stephen king himself actually i would say i'm not that's not to say that they don't do the supernatural stuff still um but uh he 
they don't quite do it in the same way. Now, Phantoms, I I remember where we got this. My sister and I were at a car boot sale with my dad. Um, so, and it was before he moved out. So we're talking, I would have only been about nine or ten. And my sister, I think it's my sister. My sister had read him before. She was only 11. She wasn't much older. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, she bought this copy of Phantoms in our bag. I think probably for something like 50p, something ridiculous like that. And I don't know how or when I ended up reading it. It wouldn't have been much longer after that. Um, but I read it and I loved it. And it was possibly one of the first books that I read that uh, that was an adult book. And there were probably things in there that, if I read it now, I'll be shocked that a nine-year-old, ten-year-old read them. Um, but at the time, I probably didn't know what they meant. Uh, and Or, actually, I think sometimes as well, I do think that sometimes we, we mollycoddle our children a little bit. Um, in that I might have known what they meant, um, but I was mature enough to deal with it. Uh, I'm not saying that every child is mature enough to deal with the with the sort of topics that might come up in these sort of books, but some of them are. And it's one of those things, again, I always... It's one of those books I think of when people ask me, is this book suitable for my child? My child is 13, 14, and wants to start reading adult books. Is this book suitable? And I always have to ask the parent, the adult, the, whoever it is, what were you reading when you were their age? And did it scar you? And for me, it didn't. I was reading books by Dean Koontz um, from a very young age. And I didn't... I don't think they affected me. I mean, who knows? Uh, maybe my life would be very different by now if, if I hadn't read them. But the truth is, I, you know, I'm not mentally scarred by them. And I've got a, quite a collection of them. Now... The three that I am looking at now um, are, there's one sort of really thick green one, really thick red one, and a really thick blue one. Uh, One was from the corner of his eye, and it was a book that I, it was one of the, I I bought it from New at my local WH Smith. Uh, I don't know if I bought it when it came out or if it was a few years later, and I was certainly a bit older, about 13, 14 and uh, it was a really big book, and it was one of those books that I, you know, I I like. I knew I liked Dean Koontz, but I didn't know if I liked big books, and I read this, and it was amazing. I have not reread it since, so maybe I'm going to have to sort of go back to that one. That's always one of the ones that I think of when I think of Dean Koontz. I think of Phantoms as being the first one, but from the corner of his eye as being one that I look on with fondness, as, as having really enjoyed it. Uh, there's also Lightning, which I know is about time travel, and I, I can't really remember too much about that, but it involved the World War, and yeah, I, I it was a a book that I enjoy. I love time travel books anyway, so um, and that was possibly the certainly the start of it. Um, but Dean Arkunz and Phantoms is the first one. Um, and it's possibly the oldest thing that I own. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't keep on hold of 
toys. I'm not a sentimental person. I've got my original Harry Potter, which I would have got in 98. Um, I got that as a present for my gran uh, alongside Chamber of Secrets. So I've got Chamber of Secrets and the Philosopher's Stone, which I got at the same time in 98. So those are some of my oldest. But I think possibly I had Phantoms before them. Uh, I may be making all of this up. I may have only been twelve, or th- I may have been twelve or thirteen, and it was after my dad had moved out, and we we were spending the Saturday. But I don't think we did. I don't think we went to to car boot sales uh, with him. We we tended to go sort of to a cinema every Wednesday. So I'm sure it was. I must have been about ten. Um, I haven't read Dean Arcoons much in the last few years. Uh, I read some of the odd Thomas books, and he's done a few of those. And he's done a few series that I've sort of... Oh, I've missed the beginning of, so I need to go back and check that. I I really ought to get back into reading it, because I I have really enjoyed his books. So uh, I am going to make a point of possibly rereading Lightning and From the Corner of His Eye. Maybe Phantoms as well. Uh, But also I'm going to head out and find some of his new stuff. Um, It's not quite the same style as it used to, but... I think I'll probably still enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to add some of these books. I, I don't know if they're all still available, but I'm going to add some of them to birdsbooks.co.uk. Uh, so check it out if you uh, fancy uh, finding somebody a little bit new. It's time for my favourite bit of the week, and that is, of course, an update on the bestseller charts. We already heard earlier uh, an update on the charts of the year overall, but... We're now going to try and find out who is at the top of the weekly charts. Last week it was Lee and Andrew Child with The Sentinel. Will they be there again or will there be a new release? Well, there are four new releases, one new, uh, one re-entry, sorry. The first of those new releases is Dogman, number 10, Mothering Heights by Dav Pilkey. We've also got Happy Sexy Millionaire by Stephen Bartlett. And uh, Martha Mumford's Five Little Easter Bunnies. On the fiction side of things, it's Jeffrey Deaver with his second Coulter Shaw thriller, The Goodbye Man. Here's the blurb for that one. In pursuit of two armed fugitives in the wilderness of Washington State, unique investigator Coulter Shaw witnesses a shocking suicide. This leads him to the Foundation, a cult that promises to transform people's lives. But is there more to it than meets the eye? Shaw goes undercover to expose the Foundation's real purpose. Before long, he meets the charismatic leader, Master Eli, a man who commands terrifying loyalty from his followers. Something truly dark is going on beneath the surface of the idyllic community, and as Shaw peels back the layers of truth, he begins to see there is only one way to escape the Foundation, and the price for that freedom might well be your very life. Well, Will any of those make it to the top spot? Will the Sentinel be there for a second week? There's only one way to find out, and that is by using data sourced from Nielsen Bookscan's Total Consumer Market panel chart. At 10 down four places, it's Tap to Tidy by Stacey Solomon. The first of our new entries is Martha Mumford's Five Little Easter Bunnies at nine, and another new entry at eight is The Goodbye Man by Jeffrey Deaver. New in at seven, Happy Sexy Millionaire by Stephen Bartlett. And our final new entry of the week is at six for Daz Pilkey and Dogman 10 at Mothering Heights. It's down one place for Pink to Non Quick and Easy from four to five by Kate Everson and Kate Allenson. 
A re-entry for Richard Osman back in the charts at the number four with the Thursday Murder Club. Down one for the boy of the mole, the fox and the horse by Charlie Mackesy. He's at three. And up one to two, it's Matt Haig and the Midnight Library, which means no move at one for the Sentinel by Lee and Andrew Child. The way that publishing works is we get new books every two weeks. So we've had Lee, Lee and Andrew Child at number one for two weeks. Prior to that, we had Stacey Solomon at number one for two weeks. Before that, we had The Midnight Library at number one for two weeks. A lot of books, they come out and they're there for two weeks. So we will possibly get a new number one next week. What will it be? Well, loads and loads of new entries, new releases coming out um, the 1st of April. So it could be anything. Come back to the Burt's Books podcast next Sunday to find out what is at the top of the charts. Next up is Truth be told by Kia Abdullah. Uh, I'm just going straight into the blurb and then we'll talk about it afterwards. Kamran Hadid feels invincible. He attends Hampton School, an elite all-boys boarding school in London. He comes from a wealthy family and he has a place at Oxford next year. The world is at his feet. And then a night of revelry leads to a drunken encounter and he must ask himself a horrific question. With the help of assault counsellor Zara Khalil, Cameron reports the incident in the hopes that will be the end of it. But it's only the beginning. Zara Khalil has appeared in another book, Take It Back, uh, obviously also by Kia Abdullah. She is a sexual assault counsellor and she largely deals with women. And if you've read Take It Back, you'll know that it can be quite a harrowing subject. Um, and Abdullah actually focuses on the more difficult side of things and and looks at race as well so in take it back we have Jodie a white girl disabled white girl who claims to have been raped by four Muslim boys there is spoilers for that story in this book um I don't think it would ruin the story, but it's worth noting that if you haven't read that and you think you might want to, perhaps retake it back before you read Truth Be Told. It's one of the reasons why I don't normally put books like this in the subscriptions. I don't like putting second books, third books in a series, because not everybody would have read the first. However, I wanted to put this one in because it is such a powerful story. And actually, it's not about Zara. This isn't about Zara and, and the way her life develops. This is a story about Cameron Hadid. And I'll tell you a little bit about how the, the story starts. In that he ends up drunk. Um, he, so he goes to this school with his brother. His brother's a year younger than him. Uh, he goes to... Uh, uh, he's supposed to be going away for the weekend to some friends... The plans change, and he ends up uh, going to um, uh, just a sort of shindig, I guess, in the woods with some of the other boys. Um, And we have also met, at this point, a guy named Finn. And Finn seems nice. He's friendly to Cameron. He's going off to another party, which uh, sort of Cameron knows about. It's it's the big one on, on campus, as it were. It's it's one that the teachers sort of host, and it's kind of the one that everyone aspires to go to. Well, Finn is going, and 
you know, it's cordial between them and then nothing, nothing more. And then the next day, uh, Cameron wakes up with Finn in his bed and he has vague memories of being touched, of having sex, um, possibly of having even enjoyed it. And he doesn't know what to do. Uh, It wasn't rape, he thinks, at first, because he didn't fight back. But actually, he didn't... It wasn't something he wanted, either. This guy uh, got into his bed and just started, you know, initiated sex. And and Cameron was so shocked, uh, a little bit drunk, he didn't know what to do. Now... This book could have gone so many ways that uh, it, it that it didn't, which I, I liked because it do, didn't go down the cliched ways. Uh, we've already met his mother by this point, and she is... Let me just double-check her name. Sophia. Sophia is mid-40s. She's frustrated because she is being shut out of the business that her father had run. Um, She's married to Mac, who is a very sort of uh, traditional Muslim guy. He uh, is very macho, very masculine. This is a book about toxic masculinity, and Mac is therefore very important, although we never see things from his point of view. We do see things from Sophia's point of view, and for her, everything has to be just right. And Cameron sort of tells us about this too, in that family is so important that they also get these, like, if you get a present from someone, you have to write them a thank you letter straight away. And then you will get a phone call from them thanking you for the thank you letter. And it, the same works in reverse. So uh, they'll all send presents for all sorts of things. And it, it, it kind of comes across as a bit of a one-upmanship and... And they're all sort of fighting to be the very best and the very, you know, the, the most important. And you kind of initially get the feeling that Sophia is going to be all about that and all about what's on the surface. So that when she finds out about what's happened to Cameron, you kind of fear that she's going to just say, oh, don't be silly, don't be stupid, of course that didn't happen. But she believes him. And she's on his side. And that is such that was such a refreshing moment in this story because it felt unexpected. But actually, it's probably what would happen. It's the way that, you know, parents don't disown their children uh, straight away for, for things like this. A lot of them do. A lot of people do. But a lot of parents love their children and they will support them. And... It felt like that this book, although Sophia very much cared about what was on the surface, that was because in her family's life, there wasn't much going on beneath the surface. And now suddenly this thing has happened and she's realised actually what is important. And so she just starts to discard and peel away all these surface layers to get to what was really important. Let's go back to Zara Khalil. We haven't talked about her yet. So she's a sexual assault counsellor. She she was in this high-profile case last year, the Jodie case that was part of Take It Back. And she's feeling a bit... uh, 
she's feeling a bit estranged from her family um, and then this young lad walks into her office Cameron and she says to him look I can't help you all of our funding is for women and young women I'm going to give you the name of somebody else another centre who will be able to help you now the reason that Cameron's come to Zara is because of this high profile case he's seen her in the news before he knows that she is of the same faith as him and he also sort of trusts her though he's never met her at this point he trusts her he never goes to the other centre and Zara but Zara checks up on this and she realises that he hasn't so with permission from her boss she takes some time off and she almost does this freelance and she goes and starts to help him Another part where this book could have been cliché is if we'd never seen things from Finn's point of view. We don't see much from Finn's point of view, but we do see it eventually, and we do see little bits, like the moment that he is told he's, so say, uh, that he's been accused of, of rape. And he is shocked. It wasn't wasn't rape as far as he is concerned he uh you know his defense is that he went into the wrong room and uh he basically his room is below um or above uh cameron's and coming down from his party a little bit drunk he just got off at the wrong floor as it were and uh went into his room the door was unlocked he got into bed and then he finds this person in bed with him and both of them are drunk he is gay Finn is gay he has no um no hang-ups about telling people that and physically he reacts and for him you know he thinks the other person reacts he hears moaning he as he's sort of touching them he thinks they want it and so there is sexual contact and he is distraught about this because he he didn't ask he didn't ask is this okay uh he didn't get a yes but he also didn't get a no and he got no signs of a no either and that is sort of the crux of this story is what qualifies as consent and we all know that uh you know yes means yes uh but silence doesn't mean yes and you have to be sure that the other person wants what you are, what you're both doing that both people are comfortable with it now Zara has these conversations with her friends while she's prosecuting uh, she's sort of not prosecuting she's not prosecuting she's um counsellor for, for Cameron but the questions that they have is would you know when you're having sex with a man is you know, if he starts asking, are you alright if I touch you here? Are you okay if I touch you there? Is this okay? She said, they they all say that ruins ruins it and it takes it away and they don't want constant asking. But at the same time, a yes, a, if it's not a yes, it's not a yes. Uh, and so there's this sort of really grey area and Zara admits that to Cameron as well. And they all talk about it and they don't come to a resolution. And I think it's one of those things of our time um that we are looking for a binary 
this means yes and this means no and that and there's nothing in between and unfortunately that's not the case because when you are in a relationship with somebody you don't ask every single time can we do this are you okay with this you initiate or they initiate and then you carry on or you don't and you and you learn to sort of read each other's rhythms and you stop and you start and it's it's such a difficult minefield but the important thing here is that Cameron did not want to have sex with Finn so it was rape and Finn realizes that uh he re- he realizes uh, he made some mistakes. He realizes that he has done something wrong, but he's distraught. He you know he it wasn't something he set out to do, and his whole life has been ruined by it. But also you know Cameron's life has been ruined by it, and it becomes this story where you can feel sympathy on both sides. You don't want Finn to be found guilty because it will ruin his life but also Cameron needs closure and actually Finn Finn was guilty and it wasn't violent rape it wasn't dragging somebody down an alleyway and forcing himself on them it was much gentler there was no violence uh we actually don't witness the event really in any great detail. Both of them have hazy memories. So we don't really know if anything was said, uh, what sort of noises were made. We don't, we just don't know. But we have to believe Cameron because it's, that's what he's saying. And Finn is, he's agreeing. He, he, he agrees that Cameron didn't say yes. Um, such a, such a tricky book. And, one of the reasons why I enjoyed it, I say enjoyed, I don't know that you can enjoy this book, but one of the reasons why I kept reading and parts of it that were brilliant were the sort of investigations into toxic masculinity, into who you can tell, why you tell them, what you tell your father, who is this sort of epitome of masculinity, and what he tells you to do. Uh, and he he actually tells a story at one point, Mac, of when he was younger. He was going to school and he smiled at a boy. He saw a boy, he smiled at him. And uh, it was nothing sexual. He was a child and uh, he went off to school. And the next day he saw the boy again and he smiled again. And the boy punched him. Because that's what boys were told. Was if a, another man looks at you, you hit him, you you make it clear that you are not interested in that sort of thing. And that is just the purest form of toxic masculinity coming down. And it's defined the whole book, the whole relationship uh, of Cameron and the people around him, his brother, Adam, uh, you know, the relationship with Finn. And the last moments of this book are heartbreaking as a reader we come and you know Zara as well uh, we come to realize the truth about what actually happened that night and I can't tell you anything more than that and it's in the last few pages but it is heartbreaking and it makes you realize there was no wrong 
there was no right. Um, something happened. It was a mistake. Cameron didn't want it. But it's more complicated than that. And you can find out for yourself uh, what that complication is. And this is a book that will really make you think. It was one that I think will stay with me for a long time. Uh, it's called Truth Be Told. It's by Kia Abdullah. And it's available to order at birthbooks.co.uk right now. Well, that is everything for uh, this week uh, on the Birth Books podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you listened uh, with interest as I rambled on about some books. Uh, I would love to hear from you what you what sort of books you are reading, what you are hoping to read, what you want to get your hands on. Um, just email me bert at birthbooks.co.uk uh, or tweet me at birthbooks. Those are also the places to go if you would like to take part in the Page Master quiz. I've got quite a list of people that have already made contact that I need to con- get in contact with and arrange a date. Um, also, I want to tell you, I have had the best interview this week with somebody who's coming up on Shelf Life uh, at the end of the month. If you don't know what Shelf Life is, it is the podcast where I interview uh, authors, illustrators, people from the publishing industry about the books that changed their life. It's a bit like Desert Island Discs for books, though if you ask me uh, in court, I will deny all knowledge of that because I'm not sure about the copyright laws. Anyway, uh, I've got a couple of great uh, interviews coming up this month. I've got one with L.D. Lipinski coming out uh, in the middle of the month and another one which I'll tell you a bit more about uh, at the end of April. Uh, you can just search for um, Shelf Life, it's called, uh, new podcast from birthsbooks.co.uk uh, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash shelf hyphen life. Uh, those will take you to the places where you can find it and listen to it. It's really quite interesting. Um, and I'm, I say that, I feel like I can be objective when I say that because it's not me talking. It is uh, an author talking about their favourite books, which I find fascinating. Uh, and also saying about how they came to be writers and the things that inspire them. Um, so really, really interesting as well. Uh, that I'm going to leave it there because I have waffled on for far too long, but I would ask you to please rate, review and subscribe to the Burt's Books podcast because then that way you will get the episode in your ears every week. And if you do want to order any of these books, head to birtsbooks.co.uk. You should be able to find them all there. If there's something you're looking for that you can't find, just get in touch and I will add it for you. Uh, in the meantime, I will head off. I think I have somehow managed to schedule myself in a day off uh, which hasn't happened since Christmas so I'm gonna thoroughly enjoy that and I will speak to you all next week keep reading <laughs>